Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at japanbyrivercruise.com and thanks to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This is a message from sayonarasale.com. Hey guys, it's us, Sayonara Sale. You might not remember the name, but you've almost certainly seen the posts in our Facebook groups. When foreigners leave Japan, they turn to us to help sell their mini fridges, their Minna no Nihongo course books, their Daiso kitchenware, and any other junk they've accumulated in their 10 months in Japan. For many gaijin, our posts are their preferred method of finding out that another gaijin they hate is leaving for good. Anyway, we just wanted to let you know that for some reason, the quality of our offerings has gone way up in the last few weeks. Sure, you can still find grainy pictures touting miscellaneous kitchen items, but also lots of everything-must-go postings for entire expat existences. This is the perfect chance to turn someone else's long-time-coming disillusionment into your short-term profit. By the end of the day, you could own an Eikaiwa business employing dozens of people, buy the deed to a four-bedroom family house, or snatch up the title to a car that's finally got cup holders big enough for your gaijin drinks. As Japan suffers its first self-inflicted brain drain, we are pleased to offer one last chance for the not-gonna-take-it-anymore foreign community to come together with the nowhere-else-to-go foreign community and help stimulate the Japanese economy. SayonaraSale.com. Buy someone's whole life. It's worth way less than you think. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. And joining us this week is Rochelle Kopp, author, intercultural business consultant, serial guest, and huge fan of the show. In her soon-to-be-released book, Japan by River Cruise, the podcast that solved all of Japan's problems, she credits us with being the inspiration for most of her accomplishments. Rochelle, thanks for being here, and you're welcome. Well, great to be here. And thanks for solving everything. <laughs> Our pleasure. On this week's show, Prime Minister Abe announces that Japan will begin to allow visa-holding residents to re-enter the country, but is it too little too late? Rochelle tells us why foreign firms and talent are rethinking their long-term plans. And I should point out that by talent, she means professionally desirable foreigners and not foreign talento like me. We will continue to take the crumbs we're given and be grateful for them. Plus, Ali's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ali? Yes, this week's recommendation is the Tokyo Water Taxi. Passengers are reminded not to open the automatically opening boat doors by themselves, lest they feel really stupid after, and the captain will probably ask you for directions to your destination rather than use the on-boat GPS. Users expecting to pay by card are advised to allow for at least five minutes at the end of their journey while the boat staff fumble around with a reader they don't really know how to use. And we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the Nihon Daiyaku River Cruise Liner. You'll recall that last March, when faced with bookings of over 200 new passengers per day, Nihon Daiyaku was all like, hey, this is an unacceptable number of passengers for this boat. This is a dangerous situation for this boat. Let's stop running the boat for a little while before we sink the boat and everyone dies. And yet now, with more than 500 new passengers per day, they're acting like everything is fine, even though we are literally on the same fucking boat. More on that later, but first, Soap Talk. Ollie, how's your week going? Good, very good. Um, I'm 
currently enjoying wearing a mask right now. There's a lot of hostility still in the UK, even more so in America, to the concept of wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. People saying that it's a violation of their human rights, as if you know having to wear nice shoes in a nightclub is also a violation of one's human rights. Makes no sense. Yeah, but pretty much everybody agrees that it's okay for you to wear one. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Well, the reason why I'm enjoying wearing a mask is uh, I'm st- obviously still in lockdown, uh, and I found myself at the unique intersection of needing to save money while also having the time for a challenge. Uh, and so I bought a safety razor. Right, are you familiar with what a safety razor is, Bobby? Um, it's supposed to be a razor that's harder to cut yourself with? Well... In theory, yeah, a safety razor is like the old-fashioned razor where you put the blades in yourself and kind of lock it on. So I realized I was wasting money and doing a bad thing for the environment by buying those like plastic disposable ra- razors, you know, with like the detachable heads. I thought that was terrible. Mm-hmm. So I bought one of these. It's just like a metal thing, and you put the blades on top. And obviously, safety razor was a name that was given to it in comparison to something way, way, way more dangerous. The even more old-fashioned razor, right? Like yeah, straight like, razors. Yeah, exactly. Like, just using a knife and hoping for the best. And so I bought this safety razor, and it, it's all right. Like, it's, it's, it's hard, and I've not done a very good job. Like, the first week of using it, my face looked like, uh, you know, those, um, those tissues that you get at the bottom of a steak packet? That was kind of what my chin looked like. Oh. Uh, <laughs> And but anyway, you know, slowly it got better. But I had to wear a mask because my face was just an absolute disaster. But then I, I bought I, I bought some blades. I thought well, I'm committing to this, so I bought these these blades online, and they're really cheap. And there's loads of manufacturers that do them. But I thought, well, I'll go for the Japanese ones because you know Japan knows best. And remember, I'd gone on this mission because I wanted to do better for the environment and stop wasting plastic. The Japanese blades, which I bought, they're they're by Feather. They came in a plastic sealed cardboard box within which was 20 separate plastic-sealed plastic boxes. <laughs> and then within each of these plastic boxes is the blades wrapped in paper. I'm fairly certain that there is more plastic being used per box of razor blades than when I was buying my original uh, plastic razors. Uh, and I've got 100 of these now, so I'm committed to this for a year. I've got to haul this uh, hunk of shit around with me. And also, when you're done using the individual razor blades, you're still throwing out razor blades, are you not? Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm disposing of them sensibly. I'm not just (laughs) randomly (laughs) discarding them like a nunchuck. But overall, I'm not, I can't, I've kind of committed to this now, right? The worst thing I can do now is to now abandon. Now I've bought a hundred of these individually plastic wrapped blades to now go, actually, this is not for me and revert back. That would be like double bad for the environment. So certainly for the next year, expect my face to look, um, well, just expect me to wear a mask. Rochelle, I'm sure you're aware of the change where retailers are no longer giving out plastic bags in Japan now? Yes, that's correct. What's your experience with that been like? Are they actually charging for plastic bags or have you started bringing in your own echo bag? Um, I actually was bringing my own echo bags before and I'm finding every place is charging for bags pretty consistently. Um, but I actually really like this because before this happened, I would always say to people, I don't need a bag. Mm-hmm. And even though I was saying it in Japanese, it, it like kind of wouldn't compute. And people kept trying to give me bags. I'm like, no, look, I brought my own bag. And now I don't have that conversation anymore because now they're expecting to talk to the customer about whether you have a bag or not. So I'm so happy about it. I think it's a great thing, but I have noticed that even before when I used to say I don't need a bag, they would still use those thinner plastic bags, the kind that they put like, your packets of meat when you buy your meat in. 
And I've noticed now that if I'm buying one thing or two things, they'll say, do you need a bag? And I'll say no. And then they'll take whatever I had and put it into one of those smaller plastic bags. Which, which kind of defeats the purpose. It you know, completely it, yeah. defeats the purpose. Right. The hack which I gave my foreign friends who were tourists in Japan to kind of deal with this, because it's very difficult to go, oh, fukuro wa daijibudis, or, you know, benira fukuro wa iranaidis, to just start by saying, as you're giving the items, shiru de onegaishimasu. Shiru de onegaishimasu. Which is right. getting them to, to put to the put tape on. To put that sticker on. Oh, that's, that's, that's cool. And actually, I learned that life hack from Bobby. I take it one step further. I save money and the environment by, uh, I stole one of those rolls of tape that say 7-Eleven, and I just put it on the items myself. Saves, a, <laughs> saves time, saves money, and the environment. Stick it on, <laughs> stick it on, stick it on a, some... <laughs> daikon from the Odin little vending thing and just carry it right out of the store yourself. Rochelle, since the last time you were on, there have been a lot of developments to the COVID situation. And we, we spoke last time about how Japan might have handled this crisis better than other countries. Are you anxious now for two reasons? One, that you're living in a country where the cases are going up. And two, your theory might be undermined by the fact that Japan might be on the same track as America. Well, I certainly don't like the fact that cases are going up here in Japan. Um, that's obviously not good. I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. No, I'm just, I'm just. Kidding. <laughs> I think it's very good. <laughs> um, it 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 means that I haven't heard anyone use the word Mindo in the last few weeks. <laughs> right, Mindo. What's Mindo? Mindo. Mindo is the word that um Aso used. Oh yeah, to, yeah, yeah. That that just said it is like the cultural superiority of Japan, and they yeah. have why, but it explains the good COVID performance. And I haven't heard the use anyone use the word Mindo or any of those Mindo-like arguments recently. Somebody told me today that the numbers are going up, but they're going up in a way that is directly correlated with the expansion of testing, as opposed to in America, where like testing has increased by nineteen percent and infections have increased by like 47%. And I saw an article a while back um, that I had on my list to read and did not read about why the people who were saying <laughs> that this that this trend upward might not be indicative of a second wave and some of their reasons behind it. Do you think that there are any, do you think there is any merit to the argument that this is because of increased testing or, or do you think we're seeing a full on second wave? Um, I haven't looked at enough of the figures to say for sure. Um, I did see something that Motoko Rich had on Twitter either yesterday or today, where she had the graph from the New York Times related to what you were talking about. Of mm. here, um, tests have gone up, but the number of cases have gone up more than you can explain from the increased testing. And yeah. she said that there was this, that similar phenomenon in Japan. So she she seemed to think that Japan's increased numbers couldn't be explained by the testing. If you well, want, I'll send you that article that I didn't read, and you could read it for me later and let me know what it says. Okay. <laughs> Bobby, did we get any mail this week? We did. We've got one from uh, the OB, the original Brian. He says, sorry, I haven't messaged you guys recently. That's an unnecessary apology. Yeah, that's uh, fine. I've been Pl playing into our hands. <laughs> I've been studying for a big hiragana test coming up soon. I knew he would be the target market for that. That's why we get the advertisers we get. Uh, yeah. By the way, I disagree with the Brian who messaged you last week about the music being too loud. The music is fine, but could you lower Ollie's volume a few clicks? Thanks. Yeah. Um, how about this? F*** yourself, Brian. Shall we take a look at the news?
Ollie, what should we talk about this week? Well, just yesterday, Prime Minister Abe made a statement relating to the story, which we've already covered on this show a couple of episodes ago with Magdalena Osumi, Japan Times journalist, about Japan's ban on mm. foreign residents leaving the country and coming back in, and also those residents outside not being able to come back in. Yeah, I actually tried to reach out to some other Japan Times staff members uh, about this issue, but for some reason they're not answering their Japan Times emails right now. Um, but thankfully, we do have a Japan Times columnist, freelancer, saved by the cuts, uh, who's going to explain what Abe said and what it means. Yes, Rochelle, it looks like the complaints finally reached his ears and he was finally forced to kind of make a public response to this. What what were the bones of this public response? Okay, the, the bones are that um, people who left Japan before April 2nd are going to be able to allow, uh, to return. Um, it's not clear exactly when that's going to happen, and it's going to be done in some sort of gradual or step-like fashion. Um, however, there it doesn't. Uh, um, there hasn't been any information yet on what's going to happen with people who, for example, are waiting to come to Japan to to start school in the fall, um, like start classes, or people who are coming here to take a new job. Um, that hasn't um, the the that there hasn't been details about that yet. So he hasn't actually given any concrete information at all. It just seems like for months and months people have been nagging away at politicians like a mom, 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 and eventually all we've got is yes, what is it? And that's about. That's about all we can be grateful for so far. And it hasn't just been like kids complaining to their mothers. Some countries are taking a really strong stance on this as well. I saw uh, the German embassy put out a statement in Japanese that said, we are not going to allow Japanese nationals into Germany until you allow German visa holders in Japan back into Japan. And it's really a shame to see Germany and Japan going at it because they used to be so tight. Rochelle, do you have any idea of the numbers that are affected still? Well, yes. Um, so... Right now, evidently, there's 88,000 people who left before April 3rd, and they were stranded abroad. And so these are the people that Abe's decision, whatever it was and whatever it's implemented, those people will be able to return gradually at some point. Um, there's also another 12,000 people who left Japan after April 3rd, and they're stuck abroad, but what Abe announced doesn't cover them, so we don't even know when those people can come back. And then and there's course, an unknown number of people who are waiting to enter for the first time who are stuck right. also. And in addition to those people, there's also people in Japan that are not sure when they'll be able to leave Japan and come back in again. That's correct. And that applies to all non-Japanese residents in Japan. And the, the effects are just, are just tragic. There are just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in this situation. Uh, earlier today, I spoke to Lily, uh, whose tweet went viral. She explains her situation. She's been living in Japan for four years already. She works as a consultant and an influencer originally from France. Uh, and she spoke to me about her experiences since the death of her father. I'll, I'll just play that chat. So my dad passed away. And uh, around that time, we were in the middle of state of emergency in Tokyo. France was also in the middle of lockdown. The situation at the time was very complicated. And when I made the request um, to be able to go back to France as soon as possible, um, they let me know it would be extremely difficult. And I just had like about three days to be uh, able to 
attend the funeral um, because my father was very sick for about 10 years and his body condition was not great. I'm sorry to so hear that. So this time I had like two to three days to attend the funeral because they're going to uh, bury him very quickly. So I had to make the choice. Um, so the French embassy, they advised me to not go back, uh, which I didn't. And by the end, you know, my state of emergency was over and my job, because they noticed I was not doing so well, um, in June, they called the immigration again, asked the same question, tried to see if I could, like, you know, have, like, um, go back to Japan, uh, go back to France, and after I go back to Japan, they say, no, sorry, it's like, you know, it's all over, so it's not possible. And so the reason they gave was, because you'd missed the funeral, you weren't allowed to go back and spend time with your family and grieve. Exactly. So we just, like, practical for them, uh, just like you're just for the funeral. But uh, I don't think they, don't, they do understand the sense of grieving. You know, just like little Jester being able to put flowers on my own dad's food. Um, you know, like going to the graveyard and so on. So uh, something for me is like basic human rights, but something they don't understand. Was there any sense from the immigration that they were sorry for your circumstances? Did it come with an apology note? Uh, immigration? No, no, no. The French embassy, uh, whatsoever, they were extremely sorry and they were shocked and baffled um, by the situation. Um, they say uh, it's not normal and this is shocking because this is also, you know, it's like just for grieving. I'm not going back to France for like doing COVID party or that kind of thing. Of course. Um, knowing, you know, knowing that Japanese people, uh, you know, Japanese people traveling for leisure in Sweden, in France, and going back to Tokyo. And me, I got denied for like not such like kind of situation. I don't want to go back to France, like for France. Yeah. Um, it's like for like very fast, you know, um, reasons. Um, but I got denied a few times. So I just don't understand the logic of the French, um, the Japanese government. Um, this must be so upsetting for you. Were you planning on staying in Japan for the long term? Long term, I'm not sure anymore because every time I have a real issue and I make a request, they kind of like, I don't know, I I don't think they really care. (laughs) Um, I just have many doubts now. Um, I really love Japan. It's like where, for me, it's my home. Um, I, I see myself living here for about like five to ten years. But uh, I'm not Yes, and and there, there's somewhat of a hypocrisy that that Japanese passport holders can go and and have fun, whereas you can't do something as simple as as give your your mother a hug. Exactly, <laughs> I do want to give my mother a hug. Um, and, you know, it was very hard for me. Like even I just can't imagine things, but just like the basic thing that my brothers and sisters they just put like um you know like a little piece of paper. And they wrote a last message to my dad and they put it in his like pocket. Like, you know, he has a shirt, a little pocket, and they all put like a little uh, sweet message. And I was the only one not being able to do so. So, yeah, it's kind of, you know, heartbreaking. This is one of those things where you want to say, like, I can't imagine what this person is going through. But I think a lot of us are in a position where we can imagine exactly what the person is going through. I, mean, I-, I was home in the States in February. And a lot of times I'll think, is that the last time that I'll ever be able to see some of the people in my family, especially with how bad COVID is in Florida, especially with the idea that America's got different strains of COVID than we have in in Japan. And so there's no way to tell 
when we'll be allowed to travel freely between these countries again. And with a system in place that is discriminatory against foreigners leaving and coming back, I think this is a situation that we could all very easily imagine ourselves in. It doesn't seem like there's any acknowledgement that there have been real-life consequences to this political decision. Right. There, and, and there was nothing in, that Abe said that acknowledged the pain that people were going through mm. and that this is an issue, right? There was completely lacking any empathy. Do you think there's any element of this that could be attributed to a Japanese cultural tendency to sacrifice for work or sacrifice for a community culture? Like when my father passed away a while ago, I remember kind of worrying whether or not Japanese people would understand that I was taking time off to go back home because it would mean missing so much work. And I think all the people that I know that I that I have personal relationships with did understand it. But I also kind of wonder, like, you sacrifice your personal life for a larger good in Japanese culture a lot of times. And so maybe there's a cultural element to the idea that, well, you've chosen a professional life here, your business is here. You make those kinds of sacrifices. You don't get to go back to see your family if you want to. I mean, yeah, that, that could, you know, that could be at, at some level thinking in, in, in the immigration agency, etc. Um, although I, my, my theory is more the immigration agency didn't even think that far that they just didn't consider this group of people to be completely, particularly important. Yeah. I, I recall a tweet by Magdalena Rosumi who says that she can imagine the kind of people who are making these decisions couldn't possibly imagine having a life abroad. Their experience of going abroad would be on a temporary basis, maybe on a group holiday and coming back into Japan. And it's just such a wild thing for them to imagine that someone could completely uproot and have a whole new existence in a different country that maybe they just didn't think that far. Hmm. Yeah, it's quite possible. Especially since uh, you have that phenomenon where, you know, a foreigner who lived here for 20 years could have been caught outside and not be allowed back in now. But a Japanese person who lived overseas for 20, 30, 40 years, if, as long as they've got a Japanese passport, could come back in. I've seen a lot of pushback online as well to uh, artists coming in for concerts and events, like entertainment, uh, for entertainment purposes, people coming in from overseas. Like Supersonic well, or there's a con- Skrillex, right? Skrillex right. is coming. Right, right. And, you know, and Black Eyed Peas and Wu-Tang Clang. Well, I, su- you know, I tweeted at them and asked them, are you guys really planning to come? And they did not answer <laughs> me. Can we stop giving the game away? Obviously, we're going to be using the fact they're coming into the country to use these commercial uh, electronic music instrument crates to hide foreigners in. Let's <laughs> let's not give the game away. That's obviously what this is all about. It's bringing three or four foreigners back in. <laughs> Rochelle, in researching your piece, you spoke to people who have varying degrees of attachment to the country. And do you have any sense that there is a genuine potential for a brain drain here, that people who have set up businesses, invested money, are thinking there are other better options out there? Yes, I talked to a number of people who said exactly that. And um, far more than I was able to quote in the article. But it's a lot of people are very unhappy about this. And people told me about, you know, specifically that they're rethinking their plans, rethinking their investments. Mm. Um, there was one, one person who I um, talked to, I didn't have a chance to quote, who um, is an entrepreneur who lives here, who said 
that they and their partner were thinking of buying property here. And so we went from one day looking at properties on small, the real estate site, to looking at other countries' citizenship and visa requirements. Yeah. Wow. It was really interesting when I was doing the interviews that there was one phrase that multiple people used, completely independent of each other. And that was, it feels like a slap in the face. Uh, and that's a pretty strong statement. And it's pretty strong statement for multiple people to make independently of each other. So when they talk about a slap in the face, it's, that seems to suggest that people are expecting Japan to do better. Yes. Um, and and, and, they, and these, are, these are people who have you know, made significant investments and maybe even taken the trouble to get a permanent residency. Yeah. And feeling like that's not appreciated. Yeah, I mean, when you you pay your taxes, you pay into Social Security, and then you don't reap any of the benefits of it. You're treated like you are a transient population, or you're treated the same as the people that are coming in as tourists. Yeah, um, full-on slap in the face. Yeah, basically. Although it seems like foreigners slapping each other in the face would make a great concept for a Japanese TV show. I think that already is a Japanese TV show, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine it now, right? Like a United Nations style lineup of people from all their different countries, people in their traditional tr traditional costumes, and just just watch them fight. Of course, this would have to be filmed outside of Japan. There's no way we're going to let them into a Japanese TV studio. What I worry about with this is if there's this trend for people who can choose to go to another country um, to not choose Japan, to choose a country that's going to be more reliable and treat them with more equal rights you're going to see a widening of the discrepancy between foreigners who are harder to exploit and foreigners who are easier to exploit in Japan. And the Japanese economy needs foreign labor. It needs foreigners in construction. It needs foreigners in agriculture. It needs foreigners in uh, elderly care, right? And in, and in hospitals as well. And they're bringing over foreigners from other Asian countries under exploitative conditions. And so when all of the foreigners who have the ability to pick up and go somewhere else, pick up and go, maybe Japan is going to rely more heavily for its economy on the foreigners who have no better options. And it's going to perpetuate these patterns of being able to exploit foreigners and Japan being okay with being able to exploit foreigners. Quite possibly, yes. Which is not a very attractive prospect, is it? And this could be a golden opportunity for Japan to attract talent, right? When you look at, for example, the political instability in Hong Kong in the wake of the new security laws, there's an opportunity for Japan to become uh, the foremost financial hub in the region. But instead, you know, on any end of the spectrum, whether you're a labourer uh, who's being paid, you know, less than a thousand yen an hour to live in a dorm and statistically uh, be more likely to be injured at work than your Japanese counterparts, or at the other end of the spectrum, someone who's on a $500,000 expat package, Japan doesn't seem like a very attractive proposition right now. Mm. And, you know, it's ironic given all the time, money and effort that Japan has spent trying to attract foreign investment, trying to attract highly skilled foreign labor, trying to attract the non-skilled foreign labor, and also trying to attract um, non-Japanese students. Those have been four major efforts by the Japanese government in recent years. Mm. And this has just blown a hole in all of that. It's very unwise from a PR perspective. Who could imagine the Japanese government enacting policies that would end up shooting themselves in the foot just 
I mean, I, I'm predicting how this is going to play out. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining Abe saying, we're lifting the ban. You guys can come back. Everybody buys their plane tickets. And then two weeks later, he says, yeah, you're going to have to cancel those. But the country will cover the cancellation cost. <laughs> it's a, it's a go-to travel reference. <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes just so people can understand. <laughs> Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 45 of Japan by River Cruise. Thanks as ever to those who support the show by donating $5 a month to get access to the show just slightly earlier than everyone else and also access to the extra bits. You'll find the extra bits this week in your private feed. And thank you very much to our guest this week, Rochelle Kopp. It's always a pleasure to have you. I don't know if you know this, but there are only two people in the entire world who have been on this podcast more than you. Oh, wow. I wonder who they are. <laughs> you're, in, you're in good company. As always, you can find Rochelle's stuff on Twitter at Japan Intercult, or you can find her on her website. It's uh, linked in the show notes. Rochelle, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Great to be with you. Bye, Brian. We'll see you next week.